Let's take a moment and pray as we begin tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just the myriad ways that your grace is expressed to us. Lord, the the fact that we get to meet tonight, the, the fact that we can gather freely in your name is a blessing. And we're just so grateful, Lord, that we can uh, meet tonight, we can talk about your word, we can talk about um, uh, your word as it relates to this particular church. And God, I, I thank you for these good people that are here tonight. Thank you for their investment of time and, and everything it's taken to be here tonight. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be poured out afresh in our lives. Lord, we want to be filled to overflowing with your presence. We need your your grace. We need your power. We need uh, the ability that comes um, by walking in step with you, Lord Holy Spirit. God, we thank you. We praise you. We dedicate our time tonight uh, to you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to everybody. My name is Dave Wilson. And um, I guess uh, for the most part, you've probably had um, a couple of different teachers so forth. Uh, we try to have the uh, some of the elders uh, teach these classes just so, I mean, we get a chance to meet with you and, and vice versa. Um, I am one of the one of the elders of the church. And um, just to give a little bit of background, it's it's always great to meet um, new folks and to get a sense of your background and, and what you bring to the church. Just uh, by way of introduction, um, uh, my wife and I moved here um, a little over 22 years ago actually to help plant this church. We were part of a, a related church in Orlando, uh, had been there for a number of years, and um, 19, whatever that is, 1992, we moved over with a group of folks and with the express purpose to start a church here in St. Petersburg. You know, we had had so enjoyed the church that we were a part of. It had been such a a means of grace in our life there in Orlando that we just were eager to see the good things that we had shared with more people, just wanting to see uh, the church, you know, it's good things and it's bad things, but see that uh, expression grow. So we moved over at the time. Uh, I had a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old son, and uh, we just uh, we sold our house. We came over, and we helped to plant the church. So um, what that means primarily is that uh, the folks here are very patient. They've been putting up with me for a long time, and my nonsense <laughs> Those of you who have known me, you know what that means. Um, but it's been a joy just to see the church grow. Um, actually, Ron and I were talking a little bit. Ron and his family were actually here already. Um, they joined with the, the folks that came over to plant the church. But 22 years ago, we started meeting in a, in a hotel, the Hilton downtown, which, as you can imagine, was a little odd. You know, you, you've got the main meeting room, and that's where you have kind of your, your service and then individual meeting rooms, we had kind of children's ministry in it. It would change from, huh? The cat show, yeah, you'd run into different conventions and stuff happening. You'd never know what would go on. So we, we did that for a while. We moved to the St. Pete um, Women's Center. If uh, I don't know how many of you are longtime St. Pete folks, but it's kind of a small, older building. We were there for a few years, and it's probably about 18 years ago that we bought this uh, property from, I think it was a Baptist church uh, fellowship at the time, Sunlit Shores. They'd been here a long time. So it's just been a joy to see the church grow and, and develop. And um, so my wife and I have four kids now. Uh, the two little ones uh, are both out of the house now, married, graduated from college, and uh, my youngest two kids were born here in St. Pete, but uh, we just enjoyed being here. We uh, have typically led community groups, um, so we have a group that meets kind of in the, I guess, the central west part of St. Pete. Uh, I don't know how many of you uh, are a part of a community group now, but if you're looking for one, uh, you're welcome to visit anytime, so... 
Well, let's take uh, the rest of our time and talk about the church's power, the promise, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's exciting to really go through this particular material tonight because, you know, we've been going through the book of Acts as a church on Sunday morning. So, uh, again, I'm not sure how long everybody's been here, but we started at the beginning of the book of Acts and... Um, We've been going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, seeing the church grow and seeing really the age of the Spirit inaugurate the the church, the people of God. So uh, it's very, it's kind of a timely uh, topic for us to talk about tonight, to talk about the Holy Spirit, what he does. And uh, so encouraging to me as I kind of pondered some of this information afresh. Um, and I hope it encourages you too. So hopefully everybody's got an outline. We'll start with, I wanted to start with a quote, and I believe it's in your outline, and it's by um, a man named Gordon Fee. And he, he's quoted a number of times in this uh, material. He has an excellent book. It's kind of a big, heavy, fat book. It's called God's Empowering Presence. It's a, a study of the Holy Spirit in the writings of the Apostle Paul. But he writes, for Paul, Christian life not only begins by means of the Spirit, the whole of Christian life is a matter of Spirit. One must finish the same way as one began, through the empowering and appropriating work of the Spirit. So a number of weeks ago or months ago now, as we talked about Pentecost, we talked about the Holy Spirit being poured out on those first believers. They're there. They're there on the instructions of Jesus. He says to wait till you're clothed with power from on high. So when that happened at Pentecost, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but that's really ushering in the age of the Spirit. And it's not just a one-time thing. It wasn't just God sort of showing off to kind of get the ball rolling and then, well, we don't really need the Holy Spirit then. No, we live today in the age of the Spirit. We're dependent on the Spirit's work uh, in applying the gospel and transforming. And, and we'll talk about how the Holy Spirit um, ministers to us um, as we work through this content tonight. So the work and the person of the Holy Spirit is not secondary to the gospel. It's not just a, a sort of a sidecar or an option to the gospel. Um, it's really integral to the very essence of the gospel. The Holy Spirit applies the gospel to the believer, making it effectual and operational in our lives. So that's very important. We want to make sure that we uh, understand and that we appreciate that the Holy Spirit takes the, all the blessings and all the, the, the power of the gospel and makes it um, effective or operational in our lives. Apart from the Holy Spirit, the gospel has no impact on us. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but we're, we're desperate and, and, and dependent on the Holy Spirit. In a lot of ways, the Holy Spirit is almost can be like the, the forgotten member of the Trinity. You know, we're very aware, and I mean, rightfully so, we're aware of God the Father and his power and his awesome nature. We're aware of, of Jesus, God the Son, and we so appreciate the way that he lived a perfect life and laid down that life for us and died a sinless death so that we might be forgiven. We don't want to lose any of that. But at the same time, we don't want to forget the third person of the Trinity. We don't want to forget the Holy Spirit and his work and his effect in our lives. So, uh, and I was talking to the Lewises as, as we began, we were talking about some of the things that are sometimes a little more controversial about the Holy Spirit. You think, okay, are we going to get into some of these debates about, you know, when the Spirit comes or the gifts of the Spirit? We'll, we'll mention a few of those, but we're really going to talk tonight about the broader work of the Holy Spirit and, and uh, hopefully benefit from that exploration. So let's start, um, take a look, and I... Um, you have all these scriptures, but, and hopefully we'll have these uh, behind us so you don't have to flip back and forth. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Well, how do we know that? Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, 
but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how he lived among you for your sake. So this is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he's reminding them of how the gospel came to them. And he said, look, the gospel came, and, and words are important. You know, the words are how, how the gospel is communicated to us, but the gospel didn't come with words alone, he reminds them. The, the gospel came with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And hopefully that's true in our lives, too. I mean, maybe we don't always experience or we're not aware of the power or the deep conviction, but hopefully there's always some measure of that going in our life, that as we hear the gospel, as we hear the word of the Lord, there's a sense of conviction. There's a sense of God's power at work in our lives, and we're aware of the Holy Spirit working, encouraging, empowering us. So um, let's run through, and these are four gospel, four gospel accounts that in a lot of ways say almost exactly the same thing. So you could say, well, Dave, let's just read one, you know, let's not be redundant. But I think it's important to see the weight of Scripture when, when something is repeated in uh, gospel account after gospel account after gospel account, I think we can say, okay, that must be important. Let's, let's focus in. I mean, everything's important, not unimportant parts of Scripture, but... Let's look at what John the Baptist said about uh, the Holy Spirit, starting with Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And, he, and this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus Christ. John the Baptist coming and paving the way, uh, walking as a prophet and saying, prepare the way of the Lord. So he's telling the people about Jesus and what he's going to do. Mark chapter 1, verse 8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3, verse 16, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And finally, in John 1, I would not have known him except uh, the one who sent me to baptize told me, the, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about being baptized with the Spirit, when we talk about the Spirit being ministered to us as believers, that, uh, that blessing comes through Jesus Christ. So it, I'm going to say something, and it can almost sound a little uh, overstating a point, but I don't, I don't think it's true that this is an overstatement. But the most significant work of Jesus is to, uh, outside of... of uh, bringing us to repentance and cleansing us from our sin, one of the most significant works he does is to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. So it's important for us to know what that means. There's plenty of confusion uh, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how it happens, when it happens, uh, what are some of the things that uh, are associated with it happening in our lives. But let's, let's let the, the Bible uh, define some terms for us as we talk about that. So uh, we're going to talk about the promised Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came, we'll find out at Pentecost. We were reminded of that weeks ago. We're going through the book of Acts. Jesus tells his disciples to wait, um, and he waits and wait for a promise. Let's talk about what's promised. So John pointed them forward to when Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. He referred to the Holy Spirit as what the Father promised or the gift my father promised. Look at Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
So he says something very similar at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there's much discussion in the Gospels about a pro- the promise of the Father. And there's discussion about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. Well, Jesus says, uh, when I'm talking about one, I'm talking about both. The gift that the Father promised is the Holy Spirit um, being poured out uh, to you and for you. Um, Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Why did he redeem us? A lot of reasons why Jesus redeemed us, why he redeemed a people for himself. And, uh, but one of the reasons why is that the promise of the Spirit might be poured out. Paul's referring to, to the very purpose why Jesus was dying, uh, why he died. Um, one of the very purposes of, of Jesus dying for our sins is that we could be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the promise. So the promise is something that had been given time and time again to the people of God uh, through uh, the prophets, through promises, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. So let's walk through a few of those. These would have been uh, passages that would, would have been very familiar to the Jews. This is something that was promised. It's something, in a sense, they're always looking on the horizon for. When, when is this going to happen? God has promised us things that seem amazing. They seem wonderful. They seem um, beyond what we're experiencing now. Um, so when, with the coming of Jesus Christ, these promises began to become realized. So let's, let's look at what those promises were, what, what the people were looking for. Starting in Ezekiel chapter 11, God speaking through the prophet says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. I tell you, the, the people of God, in, when they would read this and when they would hear this, they would just be so excited. You know, there was something being promised, God giving us a new spirit. And I'm sure to a degree, they didn't, I'm not sure what that means, but man, it sounds good. God's going to be our God. We're going to be his people. God is identifying with us in such a a wonderful way. He's changing our very heart, changing our very nature. Um, Would have been marvelous um, as they considered these promises. Moving into, further into the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, a very similar passage. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So this, in a lot of ways, can seem very familiar to us. We're, as Christians, maybe familiar and we're comfortable with, yes, God poured out his spirit on me. Um, But... The idea for the average Israelite, as they're reading in the book of Ezekiel, to say, God's going to, he's going to put his spirit in everybody? What? You know, they're used to hearing about a prophet here or a king there or individuals uh, receiving the Holy Spirit to do a particular work or to do something um, for God's plan. But but here, God's going to give me a new heart. He's going to put his spirit in and, and move me so that I do right. It's not just external uh, regulations governing my behavior, but God's going to be in me, moving me and helping me to do what is right, to please him, to be a change from the inside out. Joel chapter 2, a uh, very familiar passage. This was read by uh, or mentioned by Peter 
after uh, the Spirit is poured out. Joel chapter 2, and afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will, will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Again, it, it, he's calling out uh, individual groups. There's young men, there's, there's old men, there's, there's maid servants and men servants. And I don't think we're supposed to be too caught up that, okay, well, I'm, an, I'm, a, uh, you know, I'm an old man, so I guess I'm going to dream dreams. I'm not going to have any visions because I'm an old man. I, I'm not sure that God was trying to say, you know, these groups will specifically do these things. The idea is that God's Spirit's going to be poured out on everybody, everybody from every walk of life, men, women, young, old, rich, poor, God's Spirit. This is a new thing. It's not just going to be special people uh, here and there, but everybody is going to have God's Spirit poured out to them when they are God's people. Uh, and finally, Jeremiah 31. I think these are all showing up here. Good. Uh, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Praise God. This is good stuff. Uh, you can just stop and just savor each one of these promises, especially as we see this on the other side of history. We see these promises as being fulfilled. Yes, God said this hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, and it's become, it's become true. This is true in our lives. This is fantastic. This is good. So we talked about promises. Uh, promises were made, and promises were kept. So let's talk about the day of Pentecost a little bit. We, we, uh, again, in our, our study of the book of Acts, we, we talked about this, but let's give the day of Pentecost some additional focus. So... Um, the day that the, that the promised Holy Spirit came, the day that the disciples were first baptized with the Holy Spirit, let's, let's look at that. Let's, let's remind ourselves what happened. So Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them. And rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, Pentecost. What, what was Pentecost? Uh, as Christians, we could be, be very familiar with this particular day and say, okay, well, that's Pentecost. Well, these uh, Christians were together. These believers were together celebrating a day that's already been celebrated for hundreds of years. Pentecost was a holiday among the people of God, among among the Jewish people. So, in a sense, they were all together, and, and the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, but that wasn't the first celebration of Pentecost. Let's talk about what Pentecost was. So, in the second century before Christ, this is 200 years prior, Pentecost was celebrated as a renewal of the Sinai Covenant. Pentecost fell 50 days after Passover, and it was 50 days after the first Passover when the children of Israel arrived at Sinai and received the law written on stones. So the disciples, as many were at the festival, they had gathered to recommit themselves to the covenant that God had made at Sinai. Let's look at at, uh, some words that uh, are tied up in that covenant. Exodus chapter 19. God says, now if you obey me fully, keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Well, did they do everything the Lord had said? Everything he said, 
Everything he said not to, yeah. Uh, you know, this is the, the celebration of the first Pentecost, and, and it, it was no time at all that they just began breaking the covenant right away. Um, so um, at, the, at the day of Pentecost, and we're talking about in Jerusalem now, rather than just renewing the covenant, the first church was receiving a new covenant a new covenant by the Spirit. The new covenant came, the pouring out of the Spirit came, apart from their obedience. They, they didn't enter in this covenant based on their obedience. Now, their first covenant was based on obedience, wasn't it? It says, hey, if you'll do what I say, if you walk with me, here's what will happen. They said, yes, we'll do that. And they didn't. But this covenant, the covenant that came to uh, the first church on the day of Pentecost was it wasn't based on the believers obeying. It was based on the obedience of another. It's based on the obedience of Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, Acts 2, verse 3 says, Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one. Now, <clears throat> this was not the first time that God had come in the midst of fire before his people. And it's interesting to see how he's done that in other times and to, helps us to understand what was happening on the day of Pentecost. So um, God also descended in fire on Mount Sinai when the first covenant with the nation of Israel was being made after coming out of Egypt. Exodus 19, verse 18 says, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke from a furnace, the whole mountain trembled violently. So God came down in fire. God came down in fire uh, on the day of Pentecost. Tongues came down, and uh, instead of on a mountain, the, the tongues of fire came down on individual believers as God was filling them with the Spirit. So um, God's coming in fire. And... Um, when God came to the people at Mount Sinai in the fire on the mountain, it was at that time the law was given, right? How was the law given? Anybody remember? It was downloaded on, off a floppy drive or I don't know. It was, anybody remember? How was the law given to the people of Israel? Somebody knows. It was written, right. It was written in stone by God. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 9 talks about that. Moses saying, the Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of the fire, and on the day of the assembly. So <clears throat> at Sinai, the, the people of God are off to a good start. God's there. They're at the mountain of the Lord. God comes down in fire Upon the mountain, his, his power is there, his majesty. The mountain is shaking with violence because of the presence of God. God gives them laws written by his own finger on tablets of stone. seems like, wow, this is a good start. This is dramatic stuff. Uh, this is going to be good, right? Well, it wasn't, wasn't great for very long. The people violated the first provision of the law right when Moses is getting down from the mountain. He's getting down from the mountain. He's got the, uh, he's got the commandments, and the people are worshiping a golden calf. You know, and we know the story from there. He just says, "No, nah, the heck with it." You know, he throws the, the, the tablets down. They break, um, and the people really continued to break the covenant until uh, Jesus was crucified. So, God promised a new covenant. A covenant not written on stone tablets, but written on human hearts. Second Corinthians tells us a little bit about this. It says, uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 3, You show that you're a letter of Christ, <clears throat> the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Verse 6, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
So that gives us a little bit of background on the day of Pentecost, a little bit of the backstory of what happened. So let's go from talking about Pentecost to the baptism of the Spirit. Let's, let's investigate a little bit more what was happening on that day. So Jesus is the one, we talked about this, we, Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism was something that had been uh, done before that, wasn't new with Jesus. Generally, baptism was a means of cleansing, of washing, preparing the people to receive God's laws, to, to commit to a covenant. You know, but, but only Jesus could cleanse from within. Only Jesus could give the Holy Spirit and, and fire um, so that we could, uh, he could dwell in us. The baptism of the Spirit is about the entrance into Christ's body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit and into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. So all who are members of the body of Christ have been baptized into the Spirit. just makes sense. To be in the body of Christ, we need to be baptized uh, Christ must dwell in us by his Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to really say, along with the Apostle Paul, what he does in Galatians 2. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus lives in us by his Spirit. Now, uh, we're going to take a look at Romans 8, and uh, it's a great passage to look at. Uh, in some ways, it can almost become a little bit of a, it almost is a little bit of a puzzle, because you you're, you're looking and he's talk, talking about the Spirit and the Spirit of him and the Spirit of Jesus. You're like, well, who's he, who's he talking about? Is he talking about the Father? Is he talking about the... Is he talking about the Son? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit? Well, let's read this, see if you can... I don't know if you can keep track. It's a little difficult, but I think ultimately, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are, they're working and their, uh, uh, their effect in our life is so tied up and wrapped up together. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to kind of say, okay, well, this is God the Father did something for me. And, I mean, it's just God. <laughs> I don't know, God's doing something for me. But Romans chapter 8, this is Paul writing. He's writing to the church. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the the spirit of God working in our life is, it's foundational. We're talking about foundations. Well, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, God, God dwelling within us is a foundational truth. Paul says, if you don't have the Spirit, it's game over. You're, you're not in Christ. You're not part of the people of God because the people are, of God are those in whom the, the, the Holy Spirit dwells. So Jesus baptizes us into um, the body of Christ. Um, Christ is the hope of glory for us. Uh, we're spirit-baptized people. God is remaking us into his image and doing the works that he, he prepared for us to walk in. Let's look at this uh, quote. It's another quote by Gordon Fee. The Spirit's main role in Paul's view of thing, uh, things lies with his being the absolutely essential constituent for the whole of Christian life, from beginning to end, believers. Now listen to this. You're described as living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, bearing fruit of the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit. The Spirit conforms the believer to the likeness of Christ. The Spirit is therefore the empowering presence of God for living 
people in the life of God in the present. We have only one hope of, of, of living a life that's pleasing to God. It's, it's in, in embracing the gospel, being transformed by Jesus Christ, and walking in the Spirit, uh, in bearing his Spirit for all of our lives. So we talked about the baptism of the Spirit. Let's talk now about the regenerating work of the Spirit. So even our becoming new creations in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is, is involved in that working as well. Um, and we could spend a lot of time, we could do a whole you know, series on the regenerating work of the Spirit, but, but suffice it to say, generally the Holy Spirit does work of convicting of sin and drawing people to Jesus Christ. John chapter 6 <clears throat> says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we, re- we read elsewhere that, again, we don't come to God just by our own, hey, I've, I kind of figured some things out, and I, you know, I cracked the code, or whatever, whatever language you'd want to use. Uh, we come to God because he draws us. Even before we're aware of that drawing, he, he's working. He's doing things by his spirit. Um, and other, else, other places in the scriptures, it talks about that being the work of the spirit. The spirit uh, testifies before the world of Jesus Christ and who he is. Uh, in his testifying about the person of Christ, he convicts the world of its guilt. The Holy Spirit applies the gospel effectively to hearts, regenerating us. Look at John chapter 3. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Titus chapter 3, Paul writing, When the kindness, love this, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. I tell you, you could, you could take those three or four verses and just, you know, that could be your devotions for the rest of the week. I mean, it's so, so good. There's so much truth packed into that. But for the most part, for us tonight, let's focus in on the fact that, that the Holy Spirit is the one who renewed us. He's the one who regenerated us, who brought us from death into life. Um, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about the baptism of the Spirit. We talked about the regenerating work of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, once we're regenerated, he doesn't leave us. It's not like, hey, hope, hope that works out for you. I've got other things to do. No, the Holy Spirit continues with us, abiding with us, and transforming us all the days of our life. Um, and that's the work of the Spirit, to transform believers into the image of Christ. He lives in us as we live the gospel. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, to will and to act according to his good purpose. So Paul's writing to the church of Philippi. He's encouraging them to press on, to continue, to grow, to work out your salvation. Uh, but it's, as he says in verse 13, it's God who works in you. It's God that works in you. That's, that's good news. I mean, if it's up to us to transform ourselves, it's, the job is not going to get done. But it's only as we walk with the Spirit, as we yield ourselves more and more to the Spirit, He can work in us so that we can 
will, that, that we can will and act according to his good purpose. I tell you, that, that passage tracks very well to what was prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 36. If I put that up there, okay, it says, Yeah, I will put my spirit in you. I'll move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. So back uh, hundreds of years before, through the prophet Ezekiel, God is saying, Part of the one of the aspects of my working in you, my living in you, you having a new spirit, is that I'm going to work in you. I'm going to help you. That's good news. God, God is with us. He walks with us as we are transformed, as we go from glory to glory, as other scriptures say. So, one of the primary roles of the spirit in the life of the believer is conforming him, conforming us into the image of Christ. The Old Testament saint would walk in the, in the law. The Christian walks in the Spirit. The law would shine the light on the path by the, the teachings of the Old Covenant, but the Holy Spirit uh, illuminates our path uh, as he shines the light on Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us holy. Uh, that seems kind of, well, duh. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking, well, I have, hey, that's good. There's even, um, I think the, there's one place where the Holy Spirit uh, is called the Spirit of Holiness. I think it's in uh, Romans chapter 1. There's something about the time I think, hey, well, maybe that, maybe if I yield more to the Holy Spirit, I'll become more holy. Hmm, I like that idea. I mean, it, it seems so obvious, but, you know, we think, oh, I, I want to, you know, being holy, it's such a, you know, it's so tough, and I got to, you know, I got to, I gotta fast and, and put on my horsehair robe or whatever. And, and there's, there's a place for discipline and, 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 and disciplining our bodies. But ultimately, it's like, wow, I have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of holiness within me. If, if I yield myself to Him, God, God will help me to walk in His ways. I mean, it just seems so, I think, God, why, why don't I see that more easily? Why is that so hard? But, but that's part of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Um, look at Galatians. So, you know, what does holiness look like? Is it just, sometimes the world gets some sense of us as being holy. Well, okay, well, that means, you know, they don't, they don't listen to certain kinds of music and they don't go to R-rated movies and, you know, they don't cuss or chew or kiss girls that do or whatever that saying is. That's what, that's what holiness is. <laughs> It's kind of these Christians with long, long faces, and I, I don't, I don't know what they're for. They're against a lot of things. I don't know what they're for. No, that's not what holiness looks like. What, is, what does holy, holiness looks like? Uh, Galatians chapter five is a good picture. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's love. It's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no law because it's by grace. As, as the Holy Spirit is in us, transforming us, there's fruit. There's growth. Anytime there's life, you know, in any aspect of life, there's growth. And as we, again, as the Spirit is working in us, there, there's fruit that's born out of His working in us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the way of holiness. Uh, John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, again, holiness is not an optional extra for the Christian life. It's how we're to walk. But we can do it because we have the Holy Spirit abiding within us, helping us, empowering us. So let's talk about that empowering work of the Spirit. We're talking about the work that the Spirit uh, helps us to do. He helps us on the mission that God has placed us on. Um, remember, the disciples, they were given a mission uh, mission to do, a uh, mission to accomplish, but they were to remain in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. Uh, it seems like there was a specific reference to this empowerment for a mission. Not just power to kind of show off or to feel good about yourself, but there's a mission we're called on. And it's a mission that we are not going to be successful on without the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. 
Um, <clears throat> they were told to wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. They, they joined constantly together in prayer. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They didn't stop meeting together to pray at the temple after Pentecost. It's important to keep in mind. So at Pentecost, they received power, right? You know, there's tongues of fire, there's wind blowing, there's tongues, there's crowds. I mean, they received power, but they're continuing to, to press in to God, to, to show their dependence on Him. They're continuing to pray. They didn't cease to trust uh, the power of God to work and to carry out what He called them to do. They, they continued, the church continued to be dependent on the work of the Lord. So to live lives empowered by the Spirit, you know, it's not a life focused just on the gifts. Um, maybe we could talk about the gifts of the Spirit a little more at the end, but um, a lot of times when you talk about the Holy Spirit within the life of the church, you think, okay, yeah, and we're going to talk about tongues and prophecy and words of wisdom and words of knowledge, and hey, we can talk about all of that, that's, and that's good. But these are gifts to empower and enable us to do a mission. It's a broader mission that is accomplished by us being regenerated and transformed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So it's always the mission, you know, the mission to make God known and to, and to make disciples. Uh, we're called to make disciples. Um, there's a quote by Paul uh, Totgus, which I will pass over, let you read that again. Um, but... I think it'd be a good thing to read. We have a fairly lengthy... You guys have a part of a statement of faith as a part of your handout? <clears throat> this talks a little bit about... And I know as you're, you're going through the foundation series, you're taking some time and just saying, hey, let me, let me make sure I'm well-grounded and what, what does this church believe is you know, important or foundational or... Um, kind of at the center of their mission together as a people. Well, this uh, comes out of our statement of faith. I believe it's posted uh, on the church website, but it says, in addition to affecting regeneration and sanctification, the Holy Spirit also empowers believers for Christian witness and service. While all genuine believers are indwelt by the Spirit at conversion, the New Testament indicates the importance of of an ongoing, ongoing, empowering work of the Spirit subsequent to conversion as well. Being indwelt by the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit are theologically distinct experiences. The Holy Spirit desires to fill each believer continually with increased power for Christian life and witness and imparts his supernatural gifts for the edification of the church and for various works of ministry in the world. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in the church in the first century are available today. They're vital for the mission of the church and are to be earnestly desired and practiced. So in this new covenant, in the new covenant that was uh, inaugurated on Pentecost with a baptism in the Holy Spirit, that baptism, that baptism was a one-time event. But but the fact that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again, every day, that's not a one-time of, time event. We're called continually to, to offer up our lives and say, Lord, fill me afresh with your Spirit. Fill me to overflowing. You know, Paul, I don't think I have it written down, but there's a place where Paul is encouraging the church. He says, hey, be filled with the Spirit. I mean, he wouldn't tell them to be filled with the Spirit unless there was a danger that they could not be filled. You know, so there's a sense that, yes, I want to continue to, to offer myself as a vessel for the Holy Spirit to work and, and to empower me for mission. Um, you know, even, even after Pentecost, the church was gathered, as we read in Acts chapter 4, it says... Um, after they prayed, the, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So if we're in Christ, we've been baptized with this Holy Spirit. But just as that first church needed to be filled again and again, 
we too just need to uh, avail ourselves of the, of the power and the grace and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, let's close with a word of prayer, and then I think we've got a few minutes for any Q&A. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you, thank you, God, just for the joy of revisiting your word and what you did, what you promised, Lord, for hundreds of years to your people, and then you caused those promises, you caused those prophecies to be fulfilled in the person of your Son, through the work of the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you ascended, before you left, you told uh, your followers that you would send another, that you would send a helper. You would send one to be with us, never leave us. Lord, we thank you, Lord Holy Spirit, for your work, for saving us, for transforming us, Lord, for causing us to grow more and more into the image of Christ. We pray even now, Lord, fill us afresh. We need you. We want you. We want to be fruitful in the way of holiness. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, does anybody have questions either about uh, things we talked about or, um, again, we did not get into specifics about, you know, tongues and prophecy and, you know, but a lot of these things I think we've spoken of even recently. Uh, well, Jerry, we walked through the, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians as a church. We, you know, you get to chapters 12 and 13 and 14, you know, Paul is saying, Hey, tongues are great, but, you know, when you're in the church, you know, do something to edify the body, you know, please eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And it's good to be, you know, we can look at that passage where it says to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And if you're somebody that says, yeah, I'm prophecy and tongues and yeah, I'm all about that. Well, it says to eagerly desire spiritual gifts when you'll do that when you follow the way of love. So. I think, you know, I know for me that that can be a convicting passage. I think, well, Lord, I want to, anytime I I gather with your people, whether it's at community group or I I come on Sunday morning, I want to say, Lord, I want to follow the way of love. I want to, I want to serve your, your good people. Lord, would you, would you stir up some gift within me? Give, Lord, give me something that I can share, whether it's with a big group of people or one person, um, so, anyway, there's a lot of things we could talk about. But any, any questions? Well, I will be here for a few minutes. i uh, be glad to talk to you privately. But thank you so much for your uh, time and for coming out. I uh, hope you have a blessed evening.